I was challenged at our website with the following comment by a viewer who pointed out with some frustration that it's been 2,000 years and Jesus still hasn't returned as he had promised. How many more centuries upon centuries must we wait? The second coming of Jesus is a central doctrine of the Christian church. So how would you answer the question, and where is your faith? Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. The Bible warns that in the last days, there will be many mockers of the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus. And the irony is that in mocking the second coming, the scoffers are actually fulfilling Bible prophecy. Thus, they become a sign of the truthfulness of God's word as recorded in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 3 to 4, where the apostle Peter said, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, everything continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Well, as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, I'm here to tell you the days are coming when scoffers who may be alive right now will actually witness the return of Jesus. And then they're going to be ashamed and greatly afraid at his sudden appearing. Today, we want to ask an important question. Have you begun to lose heart? Has your faith weakened in the blessed hope of the sudden appearing of the Lord Jesus? Are you growing cold or apathetic in your walk with the Lord? Proverbs 24.10 is an admonition that we must all take to heart. It says that, if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. In light of all the dangers and hostilities in this world, I sometimes wonder where are the men and women of valor who will dare to be a Daniel, a Deborah, a David, Gideon, Joshua, or a Paul to accomplish exploits in facing down the enemy. This Bible tells us 365 times not to be afraid or troubled. So that's one verse against fear for every day of the year. These scriptures emphasize the need to be strong and courageous to stand up for the Lord and his word in the evil day. But of course, faith is necessary to accomplish exploits. The condition of our prayer life will reveal the state of our faith. Otherwise, for the unbeliever and the faithless, this world is a dangerous place to live. We all understand that evil exists. There's natural evil due to this world being a fallen world manifested in deceit, decay, and death. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 that the whole creation is groaning. There's also supernatural evil due to demonic forces who use their powers to seduce and deceive humanity and to fight against God's plans and purposes. On the other hand, moral evil is also pervasive, dominating the entire human race. 
In fact, the Bible testifies that there's not one who is good. No, not one. All the thoughts of the heart are only evil continually. And then there's the evil we inflict upon ourselves through disobedience to God's word. Yet the believer is continually exhorted to fight the good fight of what? The good fight of faith. Well, there's a parable I want to share today in Luke chapter 18 in the New Testament about a praying widow who continually petitioned an unjust judge for retribution. And in this parable, the Lord assured his followers of the power of prayer, especially when we're persecuted, disinherited, or mistreated. Let's take a moment to examine the story. Jesus spoke a parable explaining that men ought always to pray and not to faint. The Amplified Bible renders it that we shouldn't turn coward. We shouldn't lose heart and give up. Jesus said there was a judge in a certain city who neither reverenced nor feared God nor respected people. And there was a widow in that city who came often to the judge begging, avenge me of my adversary, give me justice. The judge wouldn't take any notice of her. But eventually, because the widow harangued and annoyed him, he decided to avenge her just to get her off his back. And in this parable, the Lord asked, will not our just God avenge his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he defer them and delay help on their behalf? I say to you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, and here Jesus asks a very vital question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Isn't it amazing that the Lord will be looking for a persistent faith more than anything else? We might suppose he would be looking for truth or fruitfulness or any number of virtues, but the quality Jesus singled out that he'll be most looking for is faith. Let's let that sink in. Now, the literal translation says, using the definite article, shall he find the faith upon the earth? The faith. Should the Lord return today, how much of the faith will he find in you or me? Now, in this parable, the widow pleads her case before an uncaring, insensitive judge. Her access is limited, and she's desperate because there's no promise that she'll ever receive anything. But those of us who believe in Israel's Messiah have become God's children, and as his adopted child grafted into the family tree of God, you can come boldly before his throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in time of need. At any time, our position is superbly superior to that of the widow. In Messiah Yeshua, we have an advocate before the Father, and we have unlimited access to God because we can pray in the name of Jesus, Yeshua, 24-7. Jesus is telling us that if persistence paid off for the widow, how much more will persistence pay off for God's own children who diligently pray? Well, look all around us at the suffering in the world, the unspeakable slaughter, the 
rapes of women and children, atrocities, the beheadings that have befallen the ancient Christian communities in the Middle East, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, which was known as ISIS, forced hundreds of thousands of Christians to flee from their homes. Whole towns were emptied of Christians and their places of worship were destroyed or occupied. Believers lost their cars, their jobs, homes, everything. They only had the clothes on their back as they fled terror. In Nigeria, the Boko Haram terrorists have been repeating the atrocities that ISIS committed in Iraq. Nigerian Christians persecuted by Boko Haram have lost everything. Many of their churches have been destroyed and their pastors killed or scattered. Girls have been kidnapped and they're crying to God for help since government officials are slow or negligent to come to their aid. So why does God delay answering the prayers of his persecuted people? In the back of this Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 in verses 9 to 11, the curtains are pulled back and we see an awesome scene of martyrs in heaven crying for vengeance, much like the widow cries in Luke 18. And John the Revelator wrote, I saw under the altar souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony they had maintained. They cried out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? It says each one was given a white robe and told to wait a while longer until the full number of their fellow martyrs were killed. So what is the purpose of martyrs? Well, their death brings glory to the Lord and testifies to the truth of the gospel, that Messiah has risen from the dead and therefore his resurrection gives believers confidence in our own resurrection. Martyrs are able to embrace death because they know Jesus has conquered death. Still they cry, how long, O Lord? Why the wait? The Lord's delay in his long suffering towards his enemies give the persecutors time to repent. But when his vengeance comes, it will come swiftly. We also see the nation of Israel surrounded by much hatred and slander against the Jews. But there's coming a day when God will take vengeance on the nations. And in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 promises that the destruction against the enemies of God will be sudden. The Apostle Paul wrote, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. And they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We're not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. The Lord sees and acknowledges the wrongs done to all of his people, and he will not allow injustice to go unpunished. He promises a sudden divine intervention. 
The text in our parable today teaches that vengeance may not necessarily come speedily, but it will come suddenly. And when it happens, it will be a decisive deliverance with all the hallmarks of God's hand. However, I want to discuss Jesus' prophecy of faith being scarce at the time of his return. This alarming aspect has given me much pause for thought and study. In Luke 18.8, Yeshua asked prophetically, Will there be the faith on earth when the Son of Man returns? We're assured that the Lord will return. He can't break his promise. He will avenge his people. But his delay may cause many undisciplined believers to lose hope or turn coward and forfeit their faith. The Lord's deep concern over this matter prompted his parable about the persistent widow and the importance of relentless praying. We're admonished always to pray and not to lose heart. And his parable of the persistent widow should encourage us to persevere in prayer and believe for God's swift intervention. Nevertheless, Jesus implied that there will be little faith in the earth upon his return. I meditate on this verse quite often, and I believe there are several reasons for this prophesied unbelief and lack of faith. First of all, as the Apostle Peter predicted, people are going to be indifferent, jaded, worn out in the end times, saying, well, everything just continues, business as usual. So we must beware of a hardening of heart and cynicism. Even now, many professing believers are not watching for the Lord's return. Not only do they not have faith in the second coming, they don't even expect it. The Lord's return doesn't even seem to be a topic of interest on their radar. Is this why Jesus asks if he will find the faith when he comes? And there's a second reason for scarcity of the faith, and it's found in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Even though the second coming has been talked about for centuries, because our blessed hope has been delayed, people seem to be losing heart. They're giving up expectation and they just believe it's never really going to happen. But you and I are going to continue to stay in faith, aren't we? Now, at the end of this parable on persistent faith, the Lord attaches paramount importance to faith when he asked that question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find the faith in the earth? Why do you suppose the Lord is looking specifically for faith and not for love or some other virtue? Here we learn again that faith is of paramount importance to God. And why is faith so vital to God? Well, faith is the antithesis of fear. I see many believers slipping into fear. And then fear pushes them to become panicky. They're simply not trusting the Lord. They become fearful because they're not living by faith. Our faith is most definitely tried by the Lord's delay. But nevertheless, the Lord forewarned when the Son of Man comes, he's going to be looking for faith. The question presupposes that the church will become weary of his delay. 
And my friend, we must learn that there are degrees to faith. People with baby faith can't believe unless they have some sign from God or some feeling. Like Gideon in the Hebrew Bible, many seek a sign and first check out the proverbial fleece that they've laid before the Lord. And only when they've received a positive sign are they willing to trust God. This may be a form of faith, but it's imperfect by seeking some sign rather than just trusting this word of God. When we trust God without feelings, without signs, and without having any emotion, then we have progressed in the school of faith. True biblical faith believes God in his word when circumstances, emotions, people, family, human reason, all point to the contrary. Paul exercised this level of biblical faith in Acts chapter 27. I love this story. He was involved in a terrible storm at sea that went on for two weeks. But an angel of the Lord assured Paul that all 276 persons on board would be saved after a shipwreck. And Paul dared to speak the word of faith in the face of impending disaster. He had advanced so far in the school of faith that he told his shipmates to take courage. For he said, I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. That's Acts 27, 25, one of my favorite verses. And indeed, everybody made their way to safety on the island of Malta. Well, do we believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told us in this word? I pray that God will give us the gift of biblical faith to fully trust his word, even if everything else witnesses to the contrary. For example, we read of Moses that he endured as seeing him, as seeing God, who is invisible. Exactly the opposite was true of the children of Israel during the Exodus. They endured only when circumstances were favorable. They were largely governed by their senses in place of an unquestioning trust in the invisible God. They didn't believe until after they saw God work. Then they believed. When God opened the Red Sea and they saw Pharaoh and his army drowned, then they believed. They had a seesaw up and down level of faith dependent upon circumstances. But that's not the level of faith God wants us to have. Likewise, today many churchgoers profess to be believers, but many are trusting in circumstances rather than focusing upon God. The world says seeing is believing, but God wants us to believe in order to see. Do we believe God only when circumstances are favorable or do we believe the promises in his word, no matter what our outward circumstances may be? Well, let's go back to our parable for a moment and consider the Lord's use of a widow as an idiom for the praying bride of Messiah. We know the Lord is coming for a beautiful, glorious bride, yet Bible scholars say the idiom of a scrawny old widow is in many ways a true picture of the state of the church of God during this present age. In numbers, the true and living church is few. The church in the last days is a remnant. 
and in many nations lives like a widow, bereft of justice. The true church doesn't attract a lot of honor in this world. At present, the church's lot is weakness, hardship, rejection, enduring many grievances while our espoused husband, the bridegroom, is currently away at his father's house, preparing the marriage supper and preparing many rooms for his bride in his father's house. Many times the Lord has allowed the church to go through horrific seasons of persecution without any deliverance in sight. The cry of the bridegroom when he comes will be, is there any faith in the earth? Well, I like a saying of the faith apostle Smith Wigglesworth. He said, I can receive more from God by believing him for one minute than by shouting at him all night long. Think about that. Real faith calmly believes and doesn't get too worked up in loud demanding prayers. I can receive more from God by actually believing him for one minute than by shouting over and over. I love that. That's Bible faith. You see, at the end of this parable in Luke chapter 18, Jesus said when he comes, he'll be searching for that one ingredient, biblical style faith. He asks, when I come, shall I find the faith on the earth? Isn't it remarkable that when Jesus returns, he'll be searching for that one quality like precious faith. He seems to have more regard for faith than anything else. He doesn't look for wealth or influence or power or ability. He'll be searching for faith. And the Bible says the just shall live by faith. True biblical faith is the jewel the Lord will be looking for. So we have to develop our faith. With the way this world is headed and with all the signs of the Lord's return converging, I can't imagine that this dispensation of long-suffering and waiting for the Lord can last much longer. But certainly the longer his delay continues, the more wicked unbelief and a lack of faith become. So it's important to find out from where does faith come? How does it come? How do we get it? Romans 10.17, a key verse. Romans 10.17 teaches that faith comes by hearing and hearing by this word of God. We make the mistake of thinking that faith comes by sight. That's an error of judgment and thinking. Remember, the same Israelite people who were brought out of Egypt and who saw all the miracles of Egypt were actually destroyed in the wilderness after the Exodus because of their unbelief, their lack of faith. They walked by sight and not by faith. Even though the Lord rescued the entire Israelite nation from slavery, he destroyed everyone who did not remain faithful. Isn't that a serious thought? Did those people witness miracles? Oh, yes, they witnessed miracle after miracle. They were privileged to see all the mighty miracles of that time. The Red Sea opening so they could escape across on dry ground. Supernatural food, supernatural water flowing out of a rock. But did seeing miracles produce faith? Apparently it didn't. That generation was wiped out except for two men of faith, Joshua and Caleb, who kept faith with God. Nobody has ever seen anything like the miracles when they came out of Egypt 
until the generation of Jesus. And there's nothing to parallel all of his miracles. Jesus performed more healing miracles than any prophet who ever lived. And in the healing ministry, we hear people saying all the time, Oh, I know my family will get saved if they can only see a miracle. However, concerning great miracles of healing, many people often deny miracles. They try even to disprove miracles, explaining them away. They'll watch a miracle on TV while some evangelist is believing his heart out, and they'll sit in their armchairs and say to themselves, Now I wonder how much that evangelist paid that person to get out of that wheelchair. All of this healing stuff, they say, went out with the apostles. Miracles have ceased, they claim. But no gifts of healing and miracles have ceased. God's word is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a shame, but that's the way a lot of unbelieving believers talk. They'll see a miracle, and then the devil will convince them right away that it's not real. It's somehow fake. And so rather than believing God, they'll laugh or fall into unbelief. It's a wonder that God does anything for us. And it's amazing how much we really don't believe in this Bible. But I'm here to tell you that God is still in the miracle working business if we will have the kind of faith Jesus is searching for. Seeing is not what brings faith. The word of God is what brings faith. And it's our job to believe this word and to have the kind of biblical faith that Jesus wants to find when he returns. He will do wonders for anybody who doesn't give up and who keeps praying and believing. Let's not disappoint him. He's looking for faith in you and in me. He's a God who means what he says and says what he means. So while there's yet a little time, let's get back into the faith mode and purpose with the help of God to accomplish exploits for the Lord. But first we must repent of our unbelief and ask the Lord to wash away our sins by the atoning blood of Yeshua, the Lamb of God. That's the gospel. And as we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, the Bible assures us we will be saved and redeemed. And no matter what hardships we may have to face in this life, there's safety in Jesus. His blood cleanses us and presents us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I urge you to put your faith and trust in Jesus, Yeshua, the world's only Savior, right now. Well, thank you for watching today as we have grappled with the issues of persecution, prevailing prayer, and maintaining a biblical faith. If you'd like to watch this video again to strengthen your faith, I invite you to visit our website, exploits.tv, where you'll discover all of our previous videos online 24-7. And if you have further questions or comments, we can share through the social media. And please download our free Jerusalem Channel app to watch on any mobile device. In the meantime, I'm Christine Dark, always praying for the peace of Jerusalem and contending for the faith. Maranatha and Shalom.